This show is brought to you by the generous donations of our show sponsors, Matt Lewis, Laura Pickren, Irene Viarito, Daryl Delaney, Nico Batson, Darren Katzka, Ryan Royce, John Carey, Jessica Smith, the Cam family, Charles Compton, and David Scrams, as well as all of our generous patrons. Radio, where gamers roll. Hello, and welcome to Eberron Renewed, a D&D 5th edition actual play podcast. I'm Philip, and I've never introduced this show before. Uh, that's because last week... As you may recall, we announced on the episode that we had messed up our scheduling in a substantial enough way that it was just going to be impossible for us to get an episode out this week. And we looked at a few different options, and none of them really were going to, to work for us to be able to get together and record you know, a, a reduced episode or, or anything like that. Um, but I had some time, and so I talked with our wonderful patrons and asked them what they'd like to hear. And they suggested uh, that a, or I suggested that perhaps a, a Q&A episode um, with just me that kind of covered the whole campaign instead of just the last arc, the way we usually do with Eberron Reviewed. And that went over pretty well. Uh, and so after a little bit of discussion back and forth with, with them, I settled on what we're going to do right now, uh, which is a Q&A session, half with me, Philip, and also half with Eric. So uh, I've set up a little in-character thing uh, in which Barrick is going to answer some patron-generated uh, questions. Uh, so before I get into this, uh, don't worry too much about where exactly this fits into the narrative. I've created a little scene for it because that's the way I think about it, but we don't really have a set place in our story that this happens. Uh, other than it happens sometime relatively currently in the story, I guess, uh, just based on the things that we'll be talking about. But don't worry too much about trying to place where if me and in consultation with Eric, if me and Eric ever decide where it goes, then we'll we'll put it in. But um, for now, this is just sort of a for fun thing. So don't worry too much about that. All right. So I'm going to start, and we're going to do the in-character part first, and then I'll come back, and we'll do the um, the questions that were for me as a player, as opposed to as a character. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this. Uh, if you do, let us know, and maybe we'll do some of something like this with uh, with other characters. Um, anyway, so I guess this is an a episode of Eberron Reduced slash also an episode of Eberron Reviewed. So kind of a weird combination. Anyway, hope you enjoy, uh, and we'll get into it. So Beric sits at a dimly at a table in a dimly lit room, hands folded on the table. He's not entirely comfortable with what he's asked Rakir to do, but then the woman had contacted him first. She'd put some of it together and wanted an interview. Beric had given her some documents, some of his notes, and but she wanted a face-to-face -face meet. Beric doubted very much that anything he might say would be believed by the general public, but if some element of the truth 
of things could get published, and that was all for the better. The door opens, and a woman enters. There's a bag over her head, and one of Drakir's hands grips her arm firmly but gently. The drow closes the door and guides her into a seat before pulling the bag off of her head. Uh, Shine Nilsanza blinks and looks about, then focuses on Beric. Our appointment wasn't until Sar, she says. Beric nods. My mother used to complain about bad operational security during the war. You'll forgive me if I don't implicitly trust you. I do well believe that you won't double-cross me, but I feel more sure that you won't since my brother here grabbed you two days early. I'm sorry for any inconvenience this has caused, but when my behavior might blow back on my companions, I'm a little more risk-averse than at other times. She pauses and considers. Fair enough, she says, looking him over. Well, I don't have any uh, all my notes, so we'll have to just do this extemporaneous. Um, let's start at the beginning. I've dug into some of the news stories about you, and I don't exactly buy it. And I've gotten my hands on some Citadel reports that seem to mesh with what you've told me already in your notes. Uh, and they don't match up with what's being said about you and your friends by the government. So what's really going on? Beric is silent for a moment before answering. I can't answer that in full in a reasonable amount of time. He slides a spell shard across the table to her. This has my more extensive notes regarding my evidence that the king is an imposter and the connection between the Mabar incidents and the Riedrins. It ought to fill in some of the documents I left you before. Nilsanza pockets the shard. All right, then. I'd like to ask you some personal questions. You know, if you want to win any public sympathy, people are going to need to know who you are beyond an outlaw terrorist kidnapper. Fine, says Beric. Let's talk about your childhood. What is your... I mean, you grew up during the war with a mother in the service, so what's your fondest childhood memory? My grandfather taught me to ride on his land outside Sharn, and it's just one of those memories from your childhood that it's just crystal clear. I remember everything about it. The smell of the horse, the smell of the leather. I can hear his voice exactly as it was then. I must have been about seven. It was only a few months before my mother remarried. She was home on leave. It, it was probably the last time I remember in my childhood where everything was right, if you follow. I see, and... Knowing what you do now, how do you feel about your mother hiding the, fa the pact from you if she knew you'd one day inherit it? Now, I thought a lot about that, and initially, I have to admit I was resentful at her and to my, my father, although I, I never really knew him. Uh, but I've thought on it more, and I have to believe she intended to tell me one day if she even knew I would inherit it, and I don't know that she knew that. You have to remember she died young. Uh, based on the little she wrote in her journal, I don't think she fully understood understood the pact any more than I did when I first came into it. Uh, I think most of the wielders have known only a piece of it in the way that I did uh, before I began to, to join the pacts. Yes, I'll want to talk more about that later, but for the moment... 
Did you serve in the war? I didn't. Uh, my mother, my mother found a way to keep me out of it. By the time I was old enough, she was she was different near the end of the fighting, haunted by what she'd seen, and she put me in school to have me re- have my required service waived. I didn't know she'd done it until later, and we fought about it. I see now how it would have broken her heart to watch me go through what she'd been through, but it's an odd thing to deal with. You know, you have so many of your peers who have been through this thing, this this experience, and it's it's bound them together even if it haunts them. And I remember feeling ashamed that I wasn't a part of it. That I, I mean, obviously... The most logical feeling would be to be grateful to have been spared all the horrors, but I was left with a sense of of not having done my part, even if, if no one ever said that to me. And what about the morning? Where were you when you heard about the day of mourning? I was in seminary at the time. Um, we were in class. And I remember a page stepping in and whispering something to the cleric who was teaching us. I remember the look on his face. I mean, we all knew it had to be about the war. You know, the army had marched into Kyre alongside the Thranes and was led by the princess. And then when he told us, it's just impossible. I mean, you, you must remember where you were, but, and you know, it's, it's just impossible to express what we felt. We didn't know anything. Only there had been this catastrophe. No one understood the extent of it yet. It hadn't. The extent of it hadn't reached. You know, the the, the mist hadn't rolled over Kyre. It was just something horrible had happened to the army. And that was that was all we knew at the, at the moment. And it was just dead silent in that classroom for for a moment. And then we all started talking at once, and then I mean the class was dismissed, and we spent the rest of the day outside a civis guild house absorbing the news as it came in. I think we sat there for probably days. I remember my mother. I look on her face. And I think she was thinking about what we just spoke of, of what what might have happened. She was she was still well placed at the time. Her her she had a certain celebrity, and, and so that meant our family was somewhat well-placed. And she knew I'd have been for one of the guard units, you know, one of the elites, uh, if, she, if I'd gone in just, just through my name. And she was thinking, that would have been me. And I don't know that's true, you know, there's all sorts of, there were all men, all, all manner of parts of the army that that didn't go, but that had to be what was going in her mind. And I think she felt ashamed that she was so relieved, uh, so relieved that I hadn't been there. It was hard. Um, I, I, I don't know what else to say, you know, anyone who went through it, especially when they were young. Uh, when they were younger, it, it defines everything about your world. 
can't, of course, I, re- I realize this may sound a bit glib, but you have a guess as to the cause. Everyone's got their pet theory. I mean, there's no value in guessing. So many things might have caused it, not, but I don't think it was, you know, divine judgment or anything like that. Some natural disaster. Uh, there's nothing natural about it. Simple explanations are usually the best I've learned. And the simplest is that someone did it. Uh, I think most likely is someone deployed a weapon that went wrong. You have to remember there were no fewer than four armies in the field in Kyre at the time. Brelin, Thrain, Karnath, and of course Kyre itself. They were all looking to finish the war. Uh, and everyone had secret arcane weapons in the works. You know, I have, I have no idea who. You know, everyone says it must have been the Thrains or it must have been Aus Kanath or any of these other things. But that's just idle speculation. There's no no reason to think one over another. But that's my guess. Was it a weapon? I could be wrong. I don't have any evidence to support it, but all the circumstantial evidence seems to support it. And that's all I've got to work on. You'd have to ask someone who knows, knows more of the dark secrets of the world um, than I do. This might sound a bit silly, but I I find it's often revealing. If you could send a piece of advice back to your youth, what would it be? (laughs) Stay in seminary. Really? Yes. I think about it now, and I, I mean, it may sound strange, because we've spoken about how important I feel what's happening now is. And so, of course, if I stayed in seminary, maybe I don't stumble upon any of this, and, and maybe the pact never comes to me, and maybe... Maybe I'm not positioned as I am now to do anything about it, but I think how much better prepared to deal with these things I might have been with more training. Or or how much more quickly I might have put things together if I'd had a better academic understanding of arcane and divine magic. So, I'm, I wish I hadn't been so hasty. That's very interesting. But I mean, you said my youth. Obviously, since leaving seminary, there's lots of advice I wish I could give myself about what's about where things are going. If I could just send myself a piece of advice anywhere, it'd only go back a few months. And the piece of advice would be, it's not a trap, read the books. But that answer requires a little more explanation than I have time for right now. Oh, <laughs> all right. So the other part of your story that probably needs the most explanation is this pact. So you, you've inherited a magical pact, bound, power bound up with obligation from your parents. And this pact is divided among many wielders, and the purpose of it is to battle against these creatures you call the Dream Thieves. And they're somehow tied to the inspired of Riedra. Is that a fair assessment, fair, a fair summary? Yes. Look, I realize it sounds like a lot of nonsense, Every time I say it out loud, it sounds like a lot of nonsense. But then you have to also remember that we've been told since we were children that we're hurtling through the astral sea on the corpse of an ancient dragon. So perhaps we just need to redefine our understanding of nonsense. (laughs) Fair enough. What do you think happens when you combine all these packs? I don't know. I've been asked to do so by an entity that once wielded them, 
And I know I know the packs become stronger with each one I gain. So I'm I'm hoping it will give me the power that's necessary and that it will not be too late. Yes, but necessary to do what? <laughs> the best answer I can give you is simply defeat the dream thieves. I don't know what that means. I don't you know, I don't expect it means going to wherever they are and eradicating them or anything like that. I know it's not a helpful answer, but I can't tell you how we'll do it. I don't know yet. I know it's going to require more strength than I have, than than I or any of my companions have right now. And so, at the moment, the best way I can help, the best way I can prepare, is gaining more of the packs. I see. Uh, speaking of pact wielders, you've leveled some pretty incredible charges against Hadith Irwinarn, and and have said she also wielded one of these packs and seemed to be working against the Dream Thieves. So now knowing more, what do you what do you think? Do you still have it in for her, or would you be willing to work with her? Lady Hadith is a terrorist. She ordered the murder of innocent civilians. Did she intend to accomplish something good by doing it? Maybe. But there there are simply things you can't do in the name of good and remain good. There are lines that you don't cross. I hope to live to see the day when we have the time and the luxury to hold her responsible for her crimes. At the moment, considering what's at stake, would I work with her? Not if there were another way. And even then, there are lines you have to draw in how you achieve things. And any cooperation with her or, or anyone like her would come with some stern, ter- some strong terms on my part as to how we're going to do things. And anyone who refused to, and, and refusing to abide by them would <laughs> void any alliance we might have formed. Well, on that point about drawing lines, so far from what you've told me, all of the pact wielders have have either been have been enemies in some some way or another, have either been dangerous or, or evil or have been willing. What will you do if you encounter an innocent pact wielder, one who's using it for good as you are? And they refuse to give up the pact. To tell you the truth, I'm, I'm haunted by that hypothetical constantly. Ever since I began this, I, I'm terrified that I'm going to come across that. The best answer I can give you is simply this. I don't kill innocents. And, and I wish I could tell you how I will deal with that situation should it arise. But I can't. But I don't kill innocents. Nilsanza turns and regards Drakir, who stands in the corner with her with his arms folded. I understand you also have a pact. How was yours made, Mr. Vrim? Beric sees Drakir's face shift a little at Nil- Nilsanza's poor shot at manners. But the drow maintains his composure. She can't know, after all, what that name means to him. Or her failure to say it right. Drakir, 
stares and then responds. My people long ago bound ourselves to the Umbra in order to gain the power to save ourselves from the creatures of Kyber. The rituals we use to do it are secret. We do not share them with outsiders. If look from Beric, he goes on. But suffice to say, you take the Umbra, this dark power, take it into yourself. You let it fill you. You let it take hold of you. And you gain power. Beric thinks he's, she shivers a little. And how much will it help in the fight against these creatures you're having trouble with, she asks. Beric winces and hold up, holds up a hand to forestall Drakir's anger. Drakir glares, his solid black eyes pools of void. We are still losing, but not so fast as once we were. She smiles, either oblivious or just perseverant. And what do you hope to gain? What, what do you hope to do once you've vanquished these enemies? What will you do? Drakir is silent for a long while. Beric knows why. He knows Drakir doesn't think he'll live to see that day. Beric doesn't know the Umbrogen well, but he's known Drakir for a while now. And he knows Drakir sees no final hope in the fight. Simply that it's a fight he can't stop. It's a fight worth making. It's a cause worth dying for. The silence stretches and becomes awkward. Beric is impressed with how long Nilsanza can hold a silence like this, but perhaps that comes with being a good journalist. Finally, Drakir responds, If I live to see peace, he says very slowly, thinking as if for the first time, I would like, I would like to have a family to raise up children, to be there for them instead of away at war. To be there for them and to raise them so that they can study something other than war or magic, if they wish. To raise up children who can see the world in forms other than hunters and prey. His voice is quiet and Beric sighs slowly, having never heard emotion in Drakir's voice. The drow smiles just slightly, just in the corner of his mouth. We would like time to learn to play the lute. Beric stares. Did Drakir just make a joke? Nilsanza, however, just nods, continues writing. Well, I hope you can one day. She looks back to Beric. Well, with, with your notes to fill in the documents you gave me, I think I have everything I need. Uh, shall I leave the way I came in? She stands and holds out her hand for the bag. And scene. <laughs> all right. So um, those were all of the users of the uh, patron submitted questions for Beric. Uh, so now I'm going to move on and uh, go through some of them that were submitted uh, for me as a player. Uh, so, 
the first one. The first one comes from Darren over on our Patreon uh, Discord, and he asks, how much had you written about Drakir before the game started? Uh, the answer to that is really easy. Uh, nothing. I didn't know Drakir existed when the game started. Um, I set up Barrick as a half-drow. I kind of wanted to play an Umbridge and drow, but as Eric explained the sort of setup of the game, I knew that it just wasn't going to make any sense to have this Umbridge and drow hanging out in Mistmarsh, especially when you consider who the companions were initially. So you've got a, an Umbridge and drow, a changeling, and a tiefling as the the deputy marshals of this little town. And it just it just didn't it just didn't fit. So I made him a half elf and and gave him this sort of dusky gray skin uh, to imply that the other half of him was drow. And I had told Eric that in my mind, um, his father was an umbridge and drow that that Yurik had uh, had a brief romance with uh, while on some kind of assignment in Zendrik. I just kind of left it at that, and I honestly didn't know whether it would ever matter. Most of the work I put into Beric's relationships were about his mother. Uh, I had no idea that Eric would do as much as he intended to with Eldrin, uh, or of course, and of course, Eric didn't get to do nearly as much as he intended to with Eldrin due to Eldrin's um, untimely demise uh, in in the first time that Beric was resurrected. Uh, as far as Drakir goes, um, Eric had decided that there was a half brother. Uh, I didn't make that decision. And as Eric has told, uh, when Beric wanders off into the woods um, to see if he can find the the cleric's pact to try and deal with the fact that he's just been infected with lycanthropy uh, and runs into that drow, uh, Beric, or, um, Eric had rolled on a random table that he had set up of random people they might encounter in the woods, uh, and he happened to roll Beric's half-brother. Uh, or so so Eric says, you know, um, you never quite know when you're ha- dealing with your GM whether they're fudging the dice rolls or not. But Eric loves his random tables, and he usually abides by them, so I tend to believe it. So anyway, Beric dies right there, of course, uh, for the first time. And Eric and I went and had dinner to talk about what to do. And I, as you know, am inclined to just let characters remain dead. Uh, Eric really didn't want me to. And we kind of tabled the discussion uh, there uh, and settled on what to do in the short term because obviously there was no way for Beric to just pop right back up. And so we decided that I would take over the character of Beric's half-brother. And uh, I have no idea who Eric intended that character to be. I don't know what name Eric had in mind for him. Uh, I don't know what the personality traits were intended to be. That would be an interesting... Eberron reviewed question uh, for someone to ask uh, the next time we do one of those because I, I would be really interested to hear how different Eric had in mind for for this character that became Drakir. When I sat down to build him, I knew I wanted to play a ranger and I knew I wanted him to be just iconically Umbrogen. So I, I read through Keith Baker's article on the Umbrogen and I just used the character traits that Baker said were traditional for the Umbrogen. So I made him a, all of just the consummate hunter. I made him really cold, really calculating. And it's only really been in, in his second um, uh, encounter with the party in this last arc that I've introduced 
I think, any kind of thought to how Drakir feels about things. Uh, I think in the first arc, I, I really just settled in on Drakir is all about pragmatism. All is uh, Drakir is all business. He's cold, and the only thing we we really dealt with him having feelings about was his father. Um, but as far as how he felt about the party, um, he was he was you know impressed with them. They were they were good at what they did. They were competent, and so you know that that was fine. They were good allies, and he needed their help. Uh, once he took them out of the ring of storms, he needed their help to get something he could use to buy his way back into the tribe. And eventually, of course, he used the giant's sword for that, or partly. Um, yeah, so that's a long, long way around to answering your question, Darren. But yeah, short answer is is nothing. I didn't know Drakir existed when the game began, uh, and I really didn't know much about Drakir before I started playing him. I, I knew what Umbrajim were like, but I didn't know much about what this Umbrajim was like because I didn't expect to play him very long, and I certainly didn't didn't expect him to recur at the time. Um, I also didn't know what his relationship was like with his father. And uh, that decision was made in the moment uh, because when we walked in, um, Beric, or, uh, oh man, Eric uh, just in the moment made the choice to be stern off the bat as Eladrin and specifically uh, to, to call Drakir boy. Uh, and that just immediately made the choice in my mind uh, that they do not have a good relationship and that Drakir has no, has no respect or affection for his father. And so, uh, and I'd kind of already built up this idea that Drakir felt some resentment towards his father's other family, as, as we've discussed before. So, yeah, that was kind of how Drakir's relationship with his father and his character overall uh came to be but none of it was none of it was really pre-planned it kind of uh kind of developed on the fly which is really fun to me because i feel like he's developed into a very interesting character uh and i it's one of the reasons that i kind of liked bringing him back uh, i think we skipped a question on the last everyone reviewed about whose idea was it uh to bring him back um and it was mine uh lots of questions have been asked about drakir um especially over on our patreon discord and, and apparently several of our listeners uh, liked Drakir a lot. And, and I did it as well. Uh, and when the idea of the gala was first introduced, um, my plan, because I knew that Beric was just never going to, Beric was not going to be a hired thief. Like it just was never going to work. My plan was that Beric would basically find Drakir and... Drakir would go on the heist. Uh, Beric would basically say, listen, if you guys want to go on the heist, that's your business. I can't do this. And so Beric would stay back and deal with you know, his baggage, because obviously that was during Beric's particularly, wor- particularly low time. Um, and Drakir would go. But that didn't end up happening. And so when the gala came back up, I had kind of already planted this seed with Eric that, that Drakir would be totally down for going to this gala and stealing powerful weapons because that's what Drakir does. And so it came back up and we talked about it and decided it would be fun. Uh, and that's that's how Drakir's re-entry into the story came about. So, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, moving on. Um, 
had several questions from Glenn. I said, Philip, what do you view as one of the high moments for Barrick? High points of the story for Barrick. Uh, this is an interesting question. His other question about the low points is somewhat easier because obviously Barrick's had a pretty hard life. So um, as far as a high point for Barrick, I think I think probably um, there have been a couple. I would say one was the was the, the just the train journey with Orgev, and not only was that a really fun adventure with the train fight, that was really cool, but also it was you know. It was a nice adventure, and Barrick's kind of a romantic, and, and so going on this great, exciting, romantic adventure was was wonderful for him. Um, and so that was just fun. He just enjoyed that a lot. Uh, but as far as as far as something a little more serious, I think reuniting with Boronel was a huge thing for Barrick. And I know that he didn't like react with over with it with excessive joy in the moment, um, but. I think being vindicated because coming to the low points, which was Glenn's other question is what, what are the low points for Barrick other than his deaths? <laughs> um, they it's, it's the, uh, the betrayal. It's when they're double crossed by the Citadel. And then when he reads the newspaper after returning from the jungle about the, the King's, uh, the King seizing emergency powers. Um, because Beric, Beric is not, I, I don't really know what Beric's opinion is on the monarchy in general. Cause that's obviously in the, in Eberron lore, that's a, an open question in Breland is there are those who want the monarchy to continue and those who want to replace it with a Republic. I don't actually know what Beric's opinion is on that exactly, but Beric has always admired Boronel personally. Uh, he's known him. He's met him a few times. His mother greatly admired him. And so Beric has always admired Boronel. And so when the Citadel, which reports directly to Boronel, and uh, betrayed him, and then when uh, this news article came out describing how the king was seizing tyrannical powers, that just that broke Beric. It crushed him uh, that this, this man who had been kind of a hero to him uh, would, would prove to be what he wasn't. And so finding Boronel... And learning that it's an imposter and that Boronel himself didn't do those things was just a huge relief for Beric. Uh, next question, also from, from Glenn. Uh, how has it been gradually adopting the role of Erebus and making him your own while still sharing some with Eric? Uh, this has been a very interesting experience. Eric has been great in that he's largely just yielded the character to me. Uh, we haven't really had a moment where we've needed to step in. I've kind of got a clear understanding of the goals of Erebus. I have enjoyed it, and I don't know that what I did with it was quite what Eric expected when we settled on this as the solution to Beric's second death. Um, but I wanted, I wanted that fear that Beric had of the pact to have some, to have at least some level of reality, uh, and I wanted. I wanted the sort of blithe way that we as a party had been 
wielding absurd power uh, to be challenged. Uh, and so I wanted, I wanted to bring in the cost to Beric as, as he was. And so having, having Erebus slowly become more and more dominant in Beric uh, was, was fun. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, but it's, it's not been a huge problem as far as sharing it with Eric. He's been, he's been really good at just letting me take the reins. And I feel like he's given me enough clear information about what Erebus's goals are and what, and all the information I have with the pact at this point makes it fairly easy to play that side of the character, uh, faithfully. Actually, Erebus is much easier to play because Erebus is so single-minded. He's not, he's not nuanced the way Beric is. Uh, next question, also from Glenn. You're running two characters. What's been a time when that's been really convenient and another where it's been quite challenging? Uh, the challenging I'll answer first because the challenging thing is obviously Beric and Drakir should have a lot to say, say to one another. But also obviously... It's not particularly fun at the table to have a conversation with yourself. Um, and I've tried to communicate as much as possible about the, the way Beric and Drakir interact as I can, uh, but it's just really hard. It's really hard to convey. It's playing two characters who have such, um, such obvious reason to be talking, but to not be doing it. It it bothers me. Sometimes I feel like I wish I was doing more of it, but at the same time, I just, it, it just, it's very awkward uh, to try and create a relationship between two characters that you're playing extemporaneously uh, at a table. So um, as far as when it's been really convenient, uh, well, being able to go and, and being able to use them to go and save each other is awfully nice. <laughs> being able to have, um, have Beric dimension Dorian to save Erebus from, or to save Drakir from the, uh, the monster nightmare dragon. And then, um, Drakir's shadow abilities being able to rescue Beric from his own, well, from honestly, from my own, uh, forgetfulness as to the shard. That was, that was really nice, uh, to be able to do that. Um, and to just be able to tag team these two characters. So there are times where it's it's really nice in in dire situations. Um, that that would be the places where I'd say it's been most convenient. It's also kind of nice to be able to have two very different people uh, to say things with, because you can communicate ideas you have. I can communicate things that Beric would never say through Dekir, through Drakir, and I can know things that Beric wouldn't know through Dekir, through Drakir, and vice versa. And so that's also. Uh, kind of convenient for me as a player. Uh, next question. Uh, you and Jeff have had the most consistent uh, characters throughout the game. What's a hypothetical outcome of some of the other characters staying on for longer than they did? How do you think the plot and motivations would have changed if one of the others hadn't died? This is a really interesting one. Um, I don't I don't know for sure about Theradak. I... I honestly was bummed when Theradak died because I was starting to get to like Theradak about that point. Not that, not that it's been a bad change. I mean, Booyah is wonderful. Um, I think Draconis is the much more uh, party-changing loss because Draconis also had this 
dual nature in the same way that Barak did. And so that was someone that, that Barak could relate to. Uh, the way that Dex has a dual nature as a changeling is very different from the way that Barak and, and Draconis do. It's this thing from our ancestry that we didn't really ask for and that implies some things about us and that's hard to hide. But also, Draconis was just, was just so good. Um, Barak is... Barak tries very hard to be good, but Draconis was just effortlessly good. He was, he was innocent in a way that, that Barak isn't and that Dex certainly isn't. And, and that was just a really interesting dynamic. Um, I'm not sure what that would have changed about the story for him to go on. I, I think in general the story we are, we're on would be the same. But I really would have loved to see where, Dr- where Draconis would have gone uh, as a character. And so I was, I was very sad uh, to see Draconis go. And the last question comes from Laura. Uh, Laura wants to know, what do you think is happening with Dex's brothers? So I thought about this question a lot, and I actually think I, as a player, know what's happening. Um, not because Eric has specifically told me, so I could very much be wrong, uh, but just because knowing knowing enough about Eberron lore, knowing enough about D&D editions and spells and, and, ma- and the way psionics work and things like that and the way the inspired work, I just have a lot of details. So what does Philip think? I'm not going to tell you because I think I'm right, and I would really hate to, to spoil a reveal uh, if, if it turns out to be this or to be a reveal at all. So I'm, I'm not going to answer that one. I'm sorry. Uh, as far as what Barrick thinks is happening, um, to come at it from a character perspective again, uh, Barrick thinks that um, Strent, at least, is just a true believer. Barrick thinks that Strent has just been converted, been brainwashed. He's a true believer. He's a fanatic. And... Um, you know, Barrick being part of the Church of the Silver Flame, but being from the more moderate Brelish portion of that, and he's aware, uh, he's, he's, you know, just going through the war, you see fanatics of all stripes. And so Barrick thinks that's what he's seeing here. Uh, he's not sure about the rest of them. He's inclined to think that this is the result of the obelisks and that Sadly, what we're seeing is final proof, or at least that so far, what we're able to do is that we're not able to do, we're not able to do anything about it. That, that once you're changed by the obelisk, there's nothing we can do. And so that's what Barrick thinks is happening. He thinks that that uh, Dex's brothers um, have all been taken to this obelisk, to the obelisk, and and mind changed in that way. Uh, but Strint, I think he believes is a true belie- is just a true believer and just a just a fanatic. Um, so that's that's Barrick. What Barrick thinks is happening. I'm not going to tell you what I think is happening because I don't want to spoil it if I'm right. Um, so that's everything. I hope this was enjoyable, uh, or at least a decent substitute for not getting a new episode. Uh, again, I apologize on behalf of all of us. Uh, for just 
being dumb and bad at math. Uh, so uh, next week we'll have a an episode, a new episode up for you. Uh, we're going to be recording this weekend, so we're very much looking forward to that uh, and look forward to being able to share the continuing story with you. If you'd like to be part of this conversation, uh, you can join us on social media. We have a Twitter, an Instagram, a Facebook page. Um, we had a Google+, Plus, but now, of course, Google+, Plus is going extinct. Uh, and those are places you can contact us and be a part of our community. Uh, on all of those platforms, we are simply The Geek Pantheon. If you want to communicate directly with us, you can email us at thegeekpantheon at gmail.com. And speaking of that email, uh, right now through the end of October, uh, we're running our second round of our review drawing. If you write a review of any of our shows on any podcasting platform and email us a screenshot of that review, whether it's good or bad, uh, we will enter your name into a drawing. And at the end of the month, we'll draw a name. And whoever wins gets to commission a custom-painted mini uh, by me. I'm not a professional by any means, but I'm decent, uh, and I enjoy doing it, and I'll send it to you. Uh, you get to set the parameters uh, within certain within reason, and I'll find the mini and paint it up for you and, and mail it to you. Uh, Laura won our last one, and I finished up her uh, tabaxi sorcerer, and I'll be mailing that shortly. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what someone comes up with me for work comes up with for me to work on uh, at the end of the next drawing. So if you want to be a part of that drawing, uh, write a review, take a screenshot, email it to thegeekpantheon at gmail.com. Lastly, we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of all, this, all of his music. If you would like to uh, support him and see, see the music that he uses, you can visit his website at incompetech.com. Um, we are additionally proudly a part of the D20 Radio Network of Podcasts. Uh, so, thank you for listening. This has been Eberron Reviewed, Reduced, and Renewed, I guess. And I'm Philip. Uh, see you next time. Yeah.